This Dharma Talk is brought to you by the Chicago Zen Meditation Community. Learn about us and our teacher, Miyoshi Thompson, at zenchicago.org. So what I'd like to talk about this week is to go back to case 16 from uh, the Gateless Gate. started on this um, uh, last week, and um, I'll review a little bit tonight, and then go on from where we left off when discussing it. So like um, most of the coin collections, the Gateless Gate uh, um, really presents three pieces of material for each koan. One is the case, or the actual story of the koan. And then there's a commentary by, uh, in this case, by uh, Wu-Men, or Mumo. And uh, it's a prose commentary. And then there's a verse, also by Mumo. So, um, so let me read those to you. And then, uh, I think what we'll do is we'll start in on the commentary and go from there. But here's the case. Yun Men said, see how vast and wide the world is? Why do you put on your seven-piece robe at the sound of the bell? presents a kind of a particular challenge to the monks that he's talking to. Uh, you know, every morning monks put on their robe. And so, and they're, they're in fact in a monastery, there is a bell that signals now is the time to do that. Uh, usually at the first couple hours of zazen in the morning, that happens. So he raises an interesting question, why do you do this? I mean, in a way, he raises the question, why are you guys here in the first place? <laughs> because this is what monks do, they put on their robes at the sound of the bell. But also, he raises the question, why, why do we do anything? The world is so vast and wide, why do we do any particular thing? So he raises that. And then he has a commentary. He says this. All you Zen students training in the way, don't be victimized by sounds. Don't follow up on form. You may have realization on hearing a sound or enlightenment on seeing a form. That's natural. But don't you know that true Zen students can ride sounds and veil forms? They see all and sundry clearly. They handle each and everything deftly. Perhaps you are such a person. But tell me, does the sound come to the ear or does the ear go to the sound? And if you have transcended sound and silence, what do you say at such a point? If you listen with your ear, it's hard to understand. If you hear with your eye, 
You are intimate at last. And then let me give you his verse, and then we'll go back to discussing the commentary first. His verse is this. With realization, all things are one family. Without realization, all things are disconnected. Without realization, all things are one family. With realization, all things are disconnected. Okay, so um, let's take like the first paragraph of the commentary, okay? All you Zen students training in the way, don't be victimized by sounds. Don't follow up on forms. You may have realization on hearing a sound, or enlightenment on seeing a form, that's natural. But don't you know that true Zen students can ride sounds and veil forms? They see all and sundry clearly. They handle each and everything deftly. Let's just take that, that chunk for a second. What does it bring to mind for you, or what are your thoughts on it for you? Um, that first part uh, reminds me of this kind of this image that I've been practicing with lately, which is kind of like uh, you know, you got a cat and you like point a laser pointer somewhere, <laughs> and the cat like runs after it <laughs> and chases after it and like jumps on it. Of course, they can never catch it, it can't be caught. I've been really, I've been like practicing with that image, thinking like, that's what you do your whole life. You know, <laughs> you chase after these these little dots, and yeah. as soon as you grab it, it's gone. You know, yeah. and so I've been practicing with the idea of like the cat that sits and does not go after, like sees the laser <laughs> but does not chase uh -huh. after. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. so I'm trying to be that cat, um, the cat that doesn't chase after all those yeah shiny little things out there. Right, you see, and he notices them. He knows better. <laughs> so the first part of it reminds yeah. me of that. Okay. <laughs> but everybody's not doing that. <laughs> well, you've been seeing that everywhere these days, so of course everybody. That's <laughs> great. Yeah, other thoughts. I love that he says, don't be victimized by sounds. Right? So this is good. This is, boy, it really gives us a, a flavor of uh, what he's talking about as our kind of normal life, getting victimized by sounds. So somehow, not only sounds, but all of our experiences, uh, uh, kind of dominate us, or, or they um, impinge on us. could get awakening, awakened or enlightened by hearing sounds, but in some sense that's not the point. Yeah. He said you could. Of course, you're going to get awakened and enlightened by hearing a sound or seeing a uh, uh, form. There's plenty of stories, you know. A uh, person who uh, sees the plum blossoms 
blooming in the field in the valley and awakens to that. So this is a very famous kind of situation, iconic. Or the person who's sweeping the path, you know, and a pebble flies up and hits a bamboo tree, thunk, and he awakens to that. So he says, that's natural. We could expect that what's going to awaken us is our daily life, events in the world. But don't get caught up in it. And partly meaning, yeah, whatever wonderful thing happens and you have a realization about it, don't grasp that. Especially don't grasp that. I mean, there's lots of sights and sounds out there. The worst one to grasp is the one that you think has brought some spiritual uh, benefit to you, some spiritual achievement to you. Because then we're really in trouble. If we grasp on those things, then we've turned something that you know might be an opening to the way things really are into another laser pointer, right? And we're just grasping at it and we're holding it, you know, except it can't be helped. A lovely image. It's really great, especially for uh, um, some event that carries with it some degree of realization. It really can't be helped, and yet we try. This is being victimized by self. In a way, he's saying, let's not get caught up in our typical discriminative thinking. Let's not get caught up on the way we react to things and the way we elaborate on the things that happen to us. In other words, let's not get consumed by the world in which there is separateness and there is activity and there is grasping. Let's not get concerned with that. Because when we are consumed with that, when we are consumed with our normal stories of the world and our normal stories of how we go about the world and what we need in the world and what we have to grasp, when we're consumed with that, then every being is just an individual. Every being is completely separate. Because, look, that's how we see things. That's how we hear things. I don't mistake your voice from your, uh, for your voice. It's very simple. We have some wisdom that contradicts that, that tells us that beings are maybe not as separate as our senses or as the story we tell about our senses tells us. We were reading on Thursday uh, um, chapter by Thich Nhat Hanh in his commentary on the Heart Sutra. And he talks about seeing a leaf on a tree and noticing the stem that connects the leaf to the branch. And saying, you know, the leaf has this umbilicus that connects it to the tree. And it's totally easy to see this if we look at a leaf. It's right there. But he says, all beings have an umbilicus that connects us to the earth, to the great earth, to, to all other beings. We don't see it. And the fact that we don't see it is being the victim of forms, is being the victim of sounds. 
because we could learn to recognize that envelopment wherever we look. It's there. We could learn to recognize it. So when, when Wu Men is uh, telling us not to get caught up in sounds, not to get caught up in forms, he's telling us really not to get caught up in any of the sense realms, and especially not to get caught up in the stories that we tell about the sense inputs that are coming in. And even more than the senses, what we think of as the external senses, he says, don't get caught up in that uh, most uh, attractive sense, that is mind consciousness. Right? This is where we really get caught up. We have thoughts, we have feelings, and of course then we believe all those thoughts and feelings, and we elaborate on I say you can imagine almost the modern version of this call and saying, uh, "Don't be victimized by salacious headlines on Facebook." <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yes, exactly. And when you sit and you listen to don't your, get caught up. When you your inner, it's like you have an inner news feed that's just kicking up. So you're like, "Ooh, that would be a, I could get outraged about that if I if I, if I opened that, if I clicked on that one." And it, and I clicked on that one in here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's so tempting, isn't it? You know, we just start on a train of thought, how could he say something like that? And it goes for hours, it could go for hours. And then we could really get caught up in, you know, kind of, for me, how is it that I have to live in this time with this stuff going on? <laughs> it's awful. So remember, um, Yun Men's first statement is, the world is vast and wide. And we might think, in hearing that, that he means there are so many choices and possibilities. There are so many things we could do at the sound of the bell. The world is vast and wide. Why should we do this when we could be doing that? Why should we um, pursue that goal when we could be pursuing this other goal. But I want to say that that's not what he means by the world is vast and wide. That, that uh, grocery list we have of all the things we could be doing or should be doing, uh, that's not the world vast and wide. That's our imagination being vast and wide. When we think about, I could be doing this or I should be doing that. right? That's not the world in front of us. That's not this world. That's the world in our time-traveling mind where we could be someplace else and we could be doing something else. Basically, all the time, we're creating world after world and possibility after possibility that we could be grasping at. And the key to Zen practice, as uh, Mumon says in the uh, commentary, is not getting caught up in that, in all the possibilities that our, our mind generates. And this not getting caught up in it 
is what Dogen called dropping off body and mind. And we think of that as instruction for Zazen, right? Drop off body and mind. And, but instruction for every moment in our life. Just drop off body and mind. Meaning, <coughs> drop off all that imagination that mind is producing. Really be present with what's right here. It's, yes. I also think of it as, um, like, in all spiritual traditions, the, the way is considered, in some ways, very, very narrow. Like it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Or, yeah. um, and, uh, you know, to, and, but the world, um, it takes a lot of discipline and uh, dedication to To live amongst a big, to live within a big, wide world. Yes, it takes a lot of discipline to open up to the big, wide world. It, from from this side, inside of grasping, the way is narrow because it seems like oh, there are so many things that I could be doing, and the only one thing would be the way. Right now, right? From the side of the way, from the side of walking on the way. The way is vast, as vast as the world. But he says, don't get lost in it. But he says, don't get lost. Yeah, yeah. it's vast, but it's right here. <laughs> right. Yeah, he says, don't get, don't get caught up in sight and sound. Yeah. And you know the the stories we tell about what might be happening now and what I could be doing and what I should be doing. Um, they can really be a huge burden. There's many times in my life and in my practice when, you know, I've been thinking about this or that and worried about this or that, and if this happens, what will I do then? And then what if this person says that to me? And you know, all that stuff. And I've really had to ask myself, okay, which life do I want to live? Do I want to live the life that is being, you know, painted in all of its, this crazy detail by my mind consciousness? Or do I want to live this life? The life that is really right in front of me right now. And, and so this is part of what Mulvan is telling us when he's talking to us about don't get caught up, sights and sounds. He says, we have a choice to make. Do we want to live a life in which we're totally you know, overwhelmed by all the possibilities that our mind can generate. Or do, I want, do we want to live really a much more direct life, where experience is, is much more vivid and real? And the commentary uh, tells us we should go all the way to transcending sound and silence. So the second paragraph says, you know, after he talks about how Zen people can handle everything deftly, he says, perhaps you are such a person, but tell me, does the sound come to the ear or does the ear go to the sound? 
And if you have transcended sound and silence, what do you say at such a time? If you listen with your ear, it's hard to understand. If you hear with your eye, you are intimate at last. So, first of all, what does that? What is he talking about? You've transcended sound and silence. What does that mean? Okay, sure. Sound being form. Sure. I think he's talking something like that. When you've transcended sound and silence, which would mean you know, we have form and we have emptiness. But he's saying something about Zen practices actually not even getting caught up in form and emptiness, but going through that too, transcending that too. We could get caught up in uh, certainly all the time we get caught up in the individuality of things, right? And when we're studying our texts or in a meditation, we might get caught up in the universality of things, too. But when is saying, okay, both of those things are getting caught up. But true intimacy goes beyond those ideas. Uh, yeah, it seems like he, it's about not, not drawing a distinction. About, uh, sure, about not getting caught up in the uh, conceptual way that we uh, approach the world. Right, not drawing a distinction between form and emptiness, not drawing a distinction between sound and silence. I would even, yeah, okay, I not would say leaving see. them behind. Right. Okay. So I, th I think uh, it seems like that jumps to mind because it, it's um, I like I kind of like that word drawing because it's it's like a creating you know it's not like you have found these separate objects it's like by drawing the distinction you make it so you create the distinction yeah yeah uh -huh. so if we refrain from doing that this would be dropping body and mind which we're drawing all the time in our mind yeah okay. So, Mumon is telling us, um, even though we study things like relative and absolute, in our lives, we should go beyond those concepts. We should go beyond the ideas about being awakened or deluded. And if we do that, then we could enter our lives completely. And he gives us a, you know, formula for how to do that. He says, if you listen with your ear, it's hard to understand. If you hear with your eye, you are intimate at last. So pretty simple. Just hear with your eye. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think it means? Well, that's really non-discriminatory thinking, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Hearing with your eye. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Still puzzling over that line earlier. Um, something about riding cells. Yeah. 
and then something about veiling what I form yeah veiling form isn't that interesting uh -huh. don't you know that true Zen students can ride sounds and veil forms doesn't veil like V-I-E-L uh, V-E-I-L uh, yeah yeah so veil like a veil so that's interesting, isn't it? Writing sounds, kind of you can get, right? It's like playing with these sounds, not getting caught up in them, not trying to manipulate them. Just write them. Enjoy the... Writing it, waves. Writing yeah. waves, exactly. Yeah, here's the waves coming. Just write them. Yeah. Veiling forms, that's the confusing part, isn't it? If you veil something, what do you do? You cover it. You uh, make it less distinct. You put a barrier between you and the thing. I mean, I should have looked at a different translation because that is an odd word to use there, isn't it? I think but it makes it harder to grasp, right? Like if somebody's veiled and you can't like grasp it, so if you're trying to watch like a TV show and uh, there's a veil in front of the screen. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to be able to really grasp it. So if it's saying transcend form, yeah, it's sort of saying don't you don't even need to look at it. <laughs> like yeah, don't it, give it. You know, I don't know if that makes sense. In the a veil would make something less vivid, wouldn't it? Right. And so so less to grasp, and so you can just let it go. Yeah, I I think something like that is what he's talking about. Veil forms, meaning, uh, you know, reduce their impact. Mm -hmm. like undo, uh, undo form. Undo form. Um, okay. Just like you could interchange seeing with your ears or hearing with your eyes, or not making those distinctions somehow transcending them. Okay. It almost brings to mind. I don't know if I'm off the mark, but you know, in the strict Muslim religions, you know, veiling women. I think it's like a like a method of sort of circumventing desire. That's really interesting. Right. It circumvents desire and makes the woman less attractive. You so just can't make it out. You can't make it out. So you're not chasing after it because it's real. Okay. Yeah. We don't think of the ancient masters um, encouraging us to uh, wear veils, but in a, a sense, that's what he's saying. Don't chase after. So, so uh, this is you know this idea of hearing with the eye. This is actually um, recalls a very famous um, instruction uh, from our great teacher Dongshan, who was a teacher who founded our school of Zen in China. And uh, during he um, he had heard that. The insentient you know, rocks and tiles are always preaching the Dharma. And he went to several different teachers asking them, what does it mean? And finally he got it. He understood what this meant. That the insentient preaches the Dharma. And he said, how wonderful, how wonderful. The teaching of the insentient is marvelous. If you listen with your ear, you can't discern it. But when you hear with your eyes, you have it at last. 
it's difficult. So what if he said, instead of uh, that what we should do is we should look with our ears and listen with our eyes. I mean, if I gave you that instruction, what would you do? How would you relate to that cushion if you were looking with your ear and listening with your eyes? Yeah. You can't. You can't? Okay. But he says you can. So <laughs> let's figure it out. When I try to look with my ear and listen with my eyes, I pay very close attention to what is going on right now. Right? Like, the cushion becomes very vivid to me. Because I'm saying something like, uh, wait a minute, let me see if I can really penetrate this experience in a new way. Uh, so maybe, one part of this is, look at everything new. You're very familiar with sounds that you hear. What about the sounds that you see? Are you familiar with that? Well, no, I'm not familiar with that at all. Well, then pay attention. <laughs> right? <laughs> what about this, the uh, things that you, I mean, the, the forms that you hear? Is that familiar to you? No, it's not at all familiar to you. Then really listen. Well, it could, also, it could also mean to look or to contemplate not what you see in front of you, but what it represents. What does a cushion represent? It represents perhaps um, a place to sit that's comfortable. Sure. Um, perhaps it represents uh, somebody um, offering something to comfort somebody else. Yes. It might represent uh, a way of distinguishing this space from the surrounding space. Sure. And so if you're looking at it with your ear, <laughs> yes. you're looking at it in a way other than what, what, what you would normally do. Exactly. But you would, looking, you would be looking at it sort of more broadly. So it's saying go beyond your narrow way of relating to the world. Look with your ear. And you say one way to say it, one way to do that would be to really completely enter into this cushionness that's in front of us and, and recognize it for what it is. Well, it's, you know, it's creating a sacred space. It's, you know, it's not just a piece of fabric. It's, it's you know, uh, Buddha's body. So that's, that, in a way, is, is bringing your whole self to that cushion. And so I think he's saying something about approach what's in front of you in a new way, not in your old familiar habits in which you know exactly what everything is. But look at it with your ear. Listen to it with your eyes. It's kind of, I think the important thing is that, is that there's a real, uh, there's verbs happening here. Looking, listening, really looking to 
Um, and he says to listen with the eye is a kind of a direct and intimate knowing. Transcending, you know, what's familiar about everything and really entering in with it in an intimate way. And this is not half-hearted engagement, right? This is not, oh yeah, that's a question. Taking things for our concepts of them. And it requires complete presence to listen with the eyes or to hear, uh, to see with the ears. And it requires complete presence that's not obstructed by our typical habits, our ideas about things, not even obstructed by our ego self. It's really being willing to drop all that and enter into what's in front of us. So, uh, uh, Robert Aitken, in his commentary, quotes, uh, uh, no, wait a minute, maybe this is not by Aitken. Uh, this might be from Shibuyama. Anyway, there's a, a great poem that uh, also talks about ear and eye here. He says, this is by Zen master Daito. And the poem is this. If you see with your ear and hear with your eye, then you will not doubt these raindrops dripping from the east. See with your ear and hear with your eye, then you will not doubt these raindrops dripping from the eaves. What does that uh, convey? <coughs> yeah. There's kind of this like interesting thing about the this this notion of like listening with the eyes. Uh, that kind of like it, it's like it involves time in a way when we think about listening you sort of like you like sound takes place over time and you can't see the whole thing at once right or you can't for instance you can't like see a whole symphony in one glimpse it has to play out over time right yeah, and it's almost like because when I'm sitting here and I'm thinking like listen you know listen to the cushion with your eyes like <laughs> I, I find that I like the the perceptual shift is almost one of like slowing down and like because it's like there's a, a, I don't know, there's some kind of like time dimension to like the idea of listening. That's interesting. Or something like something is playing out when yeah, we're listening. Right. And we have to be attentive to the whole thing. Right. And maybe the inverse is true for the idea of seeing with the ear, like take whatever sound in the moment is there at, for exactly what it is in that moment. Interesting. Because that's how quickly, like when we look at things, it's just so quickly like cut, you know, an instant. When it's interesting. It's some kind of injunction to to really pay attention. Yeah. And pay attention in a new way. Mm -hmm. Maybe uh, extended attention. Um, when I think of those lines about the uh, the raindrops yeah. um, falling from the eaves, it, I just I get a vivid sense of how you wouldn't be discriminating 
uh, about, oh, I'm hearing that and I'm seeing it, you would, if you're really present with it, you would be having all these things happening at once and maybe they would even be falling on your face I or, know. you know, you'd be feeling it too, but, um, but there'd be an immediacy about the actual experience yeah. that is not very oriented about discrimination. Okay. There would be an immediacy about it. And, and that's the lovely thing about the poem, isn't it? You would not doubt raindrops falling from the eaves. It's like, okay, they fall on your head, you don't doubt it. <laughs> or, or you hear the sound of the raindrop fall, or you see the sound of the raindrop falling, you don't doubt that it's happening. In fact, one of the Enlightenment poems uh, might have been by the guy who saw the plum blossom. Said, uh, uh, one stroke and all doubt vanishes. It's like, okay, there's no uh, mental process that's coming in and confusing us. All doubt is gone. The raindrops are falling from the eaves. Yeah. I was thinking as Mary spoke that with that sort of like sense of immediacy or presence, you're probably, and if you're listening with your eyes, you're probably much less likely to listen to yourself tell yourself about how much you need to fix the gutter. Right. You know? <laughs> or whatever, whatever's wrong with the image. Right. You're not listening that because it's not... That's not the kind of listening he's talking about, right? Right. And in the next moment you might realize, oh, I need to fix the gutter. <laughs> but in this moment of hearing and seeing the raindrops falling for the eaves, you're not in, what do I do about that? You're just in that. It's not elaborated yet, it's just here. And then we think, you know, oh, I've got to get the ladder out and you know, clean up the gutter. All those things come in. But before they come in, that's when we're really intimate with the experience. Yeah, I, I think it's even more like beyond even action, it's more denial of the rain. Right? Like denying things as they are. Yeah. Right? So, like, because uh, what's the wording in the poem about, like, the, it'll, to dismiss, or what does it say? Then you will not doubt these raindrops dripping from the east. I don't know if I'm just adding to this, but it's just, like, thinking in the ways of, like, trying to deny, like, I, like, I wanted it to not be snowing out so yeah. I could get here easier tonight. Right. But, like, I, there's certain things in my life that just, like, I have a hard time accepting and, and sitting and with them as they are, right? Yeah. And so if we're sort of engaging with the world in that way where we're just present with it, we're not trying to turn our backs to it and deny it. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. So it feels to me like, because if we're, like, I think it even translates, like, it's more than just, like, because you're, like, a lot of people don't even want to see that the gutter needs to be fixed, right? So they like, stop even short of that, right? That's at least, you could do something about it. It's more active. Uh -huh. just, I don't know, I'm just, for me, I guess, like what I'm hearing and how I'm thinking of it is, is just, just the being able to sort of see things as they are, like absolute truth. And, and especially not to ignore those things that we don't like, right? right. I don't want to see the raindrop from the eaves because that means I have to get the ladder out in the rain. Yeah. I don't want to see this snow. Right? Because that means ugh, my drive is going to be terrible. Yeah. No. Okay. So you will not doubt it. You will not 
bring any of those cognitive processes, those desires, those wishes, those aversions, to bear. Enduring suffering. Yeah. Okay. But I guess it's a similar thing. It's just like that. I don't know. It's just. Um, let me tell you one other thing from Yun Myth, and then we'll stop at, at this for tonight. Uh, he once addressed his assembly, and he said, I'm not asking you about the days before the 15th of the month. But what about after the 15th? Come and give me a word about those days. <laughs> Isn't that great? I'm not asking you about the days before the 15th of the month, but what about the days after the 15th? Come and give me a word about those days. And then he answered the question himself. He said, every day is a good day. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? He sets up this dichotomy. I'm not asking about this. Tell me about that. And then he smashes the dichotomy. Every day is a good day. That was a silly question, right? Every day is a good day. You could say the same thing about the days of the uh, uh, before the 15th as the days after the 15th. But I'm not asking about them. You know. It's really interesting. So this was kind of a young man's teaching style. He sets it up. And then he smashes through it. Not, uh, you know, some idea about how the days of the 15th are different from uh, uh, the days after the 15th. He just smashes through it and says, wake up. Every day is a good day. Don't get caught up in crazy discriminations about the first 15 days are different than the next 15 days. Right? So this is interesting. So when Yun Men is telling us, um, hear with the uh, eyes or see with the ears. He's kind of saying, don't get caught up in all of your ideas about what your perception is and how you perceive it. Just go into it. Maybe a verb that would include hearing and seeing. Shear? <laughs> you should shear the cushion. <laughs> see you and hear the cushion. <laughs> Don't worry about analyzing how you're doing it. Just do it. Okay. Uh, there's more, so we'll pick this up next next time. Anybody have a final thought or question?